Hello, Limelight listeners. You are so very welcome back to our sixth installment of Limelight, one of DCFM's very own flagship radio shows. Myself, Trudy Fanan and Claire Young are your hosts, and we are here every Wednesday at 5pm to provide you with a weekly digest of what is happening in the world that is arts, culture and lifestyle. So we'll get straight in, Claire. Um, right. So we'll, we'll start with a roundup of what we've read, watched and listened to in the week. So what caught your eye this week? Okay, so last night I watched 2018's dark independent comedy crime film, American Animals, written and directed by Bart Layton. So the film star stars Evan Peter and Barry Kilgan. It follows four well-off college students from the University of Kentucky who planned a complicated archives from their college's special collection library. So the movie begins with a disclaimer that is not just based on a true story, that it is a true story and takes on the style of a docufilm and features the actual perpetrators of the crime throughout who in their cutaways give their own opinions on the events being displayed in the film. So the movie maintains the narrative that the four men are just incredibly privileged and are basically just co- committing the crime in order to make their lives more interesting and not out of any real necessity. So I really enjoyed American Animals because some of these types of films tend to glorify these sorts of subjects and make them seem cool. But this film went a lot deeper and by showing the events that led up to the eventual crime, you get a better understanding of the individual characters and what drove them to partaking. So the film is filled with some very intense scenes, like some of them are really stressful. And I thought the addition of the, the real life versions of the characters definitely made the film more interesting. And I would definitely recommend it to anyone who wants to watch a heist film with a bit more depth to it. It had the actual criminals in it who committed the crime, like talking about what was going on in the movie. It was basically like the most sophisticated docu- like true crime documentary you've ever seen, like with proper like full Hollywood budget. It was so good. Yeah. I, I, yeah, that bit was so interesting. Because usually that's what like these true crime documentaries or films or whatever, that's what they lack. Usually yeah. they're like reenactments of the situation or they're just someone narrating it that has looked into it. But you never get that with documentaries. Yeah, exactly. And even like when they were kind of reflecting on the end of the movie, it was kind of like, did this actually happen? Or was it just me thinking it happened and like my memory's foggy about it? And it was kind of just interesting because you never get that. It's like always kind of based off of like a book or something like that you never really get like the true sort of opinions of the actual people who were literally in the crime like who did it it was such an interesting aspect to the film but you can actually watch it by going onto the all four app do you ever use the all four app very rarely yeah it's actually really good because they have full they have full movies on there so they'll be on, that'll be up there for a month because it actually is a film for movie as well it was produced by them okay and what did you say the name of that was just for our listeners american animals Okay, okay. And what kind of crimes did they commit? So basically, they there was a special library in their university. And uh, there was these really expensive books, like the, the price of one of the books was like $12 million. Oh yeah. yeah, so the, their aim was to steal the books and sell them in like the black market. And did they end up selling them? You have to watch the movie to find out, truly. <laughs> okay that's actually kind of leads into what I my own podcast that I watched this week it was Ooh. true crime as well um it is called the nobody zone it's produced by RT and the third year which is like a podcast channel in Denmark so it's an eight-part podcast series and it basically chronicles the life of Irishman Kieran Patrick Kelly and he was a serial killer who so it was usually around the London area that he committed most of his crimes and on another account he was arrested at, arrested at Clapham Common in London for stealing a man's watch and wedding ring and so he spent that night in a jail cell and they were put into a jail cell with another inmate 
who was asleep for the whole night. He was just an alcoholic. He was boozed up and he was asleep. And because he was snoring so loud, Kieran Patrick Kelly strangled him with his socks. So the next morning, the, the police came down and they saw the inmate dead and Kieran Patrick Kelly without his socks on him in the corner, completely unbothered by the scenario. And that night they brought him in, the police did, um, to be questioned and for an investigation to be opened. And so when they started questioning him, Kieran Patrick Kelly started admitting to 15 other murders. So he was a serial killer. Oh. There was no column inches about him. It was it was just completely untold in both Irish and English history. And so I would recommend it to anybody in search of a true crime podcast because I'm just finished Serial, which is obviously like a 12 part, you know, one hour episode each mm-hmm. um, podcast series as well. That's true crime. And the difference between that one and this one is that there's it's a lot more like straight and narrow. With Serial, there were so many elements feeding in. But this one, it's really easy to understand. And the episodes are like, half an hour to 40 minutes long so they're really digestible but it's so so good I'd really recommend it so we'll move on to our second segment of the show which is a new section we introduced last week motion pictures best kept secrets so in this segment Claire and I will be bringing you the very best unknown facts and hidden knowledge about some of the films we know and love so last week we did a deep dive into the 2004 film The Notebook and this week we'll be moving that on to some of Hollywood's famous and ad-libbed lines when actors went off script and delivered some of the industry's most iconic moments. This is a great choice, Claire. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I thought these were really interesting because there's some of the most like iconic ones and you're like, how do you, like you remember them, but they weren't even meant to be in the script, but okay, so we'll get into it. So first, uh, we're going to start off with the 1997 film Titanic. Have you ever heard of it? Which it was actually written, directed, co-produced and co-edited by James Cameron. I didn't know that. So that was a little extra bit there. But when Leonardo DiCaprio got onto the fake ship for the first time on set, he climbed to the front, blew his arms back and uttered the now famous words, I'm the king of the world, which Cameron thought was good enough to then later include in the script. Oh my God. So that was like completely off script. Yeah, that was DiCaprio just saying it because, I don't know, I think people thought it was because he was going to be famous afterwards. So he's like, I'm the king of the world. And then it was just included in the movie then. Oh, my God. That's mad. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. uh, Last week, we got some very interesting facts from The Notebook. And we discovered that Rachel McAdams' character in The Notebook uh, would have been played by Britney Spears or Jessica Simpson. But did you know that it was rumoured that Winslet and DiCaprio were not the first choices for the role and that Matthew McConaughey and Gwyneth Paltrow could have been the two leads in the Titanic? Oh, my God. Yeah. I I, you, I could just never imagine anybody else but DiCaprio and Winslet. Like, it, it's just, you couldn't see it. Literally, imagine Matthew McConaughey being like, I'm the king of the world. <laughs> But uh, also in the, and these are just some little bonus facts for yeah. uh, Titanic, but in the famous paint me like one of your French girl scenes, um, it is not DiCaprio's hands we see doing the sketching, but director James Cameron's. I guess he was like, I can't trust anybody else to do it. I'll do it myself. But yeah. <laughs> okay. So moving on to 1980 horror film, The Shining, starring Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall. It's probably one of the most famous ad-lib lines of all time. So Nicholson delivered his Here's Johnny after director Stanley Kubrick made him deliver different takes of his lines during the terrifying scene. So I don't know if I butchered it there, but so most uh, viewers outside America probably would not understand that Nicholson was actually referencing a catchphrase used by Ed McMahon on The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson, 
a late night talk show which began in the US in 1962. So Kubrick, who lived in the UK, was confused by this bit of ad-libbing by Nicholson as the UK did not air The Tonight Show and considered removing it from the movie altogether. But luckily it did end up making the final cut. Okay, so that was meant to, like that was meant to be edited out. Yeah, like he was kind of like, oh, I don't know how I feel about that because he didn't really understand the reference and he didn't really know where it came from. And then it was, it just, it ended up staying in. So thank God it was. Yeah, that's like iconic now. Yeah, so iconic. So um, some more bonus facts. Uh, the film's famous icy maze, which was incredibly convincing and looked as though it was actually causing the characters to freeze, was just a fake snow scene entirely made of 900 tons of salt and crushed styrofoam. So that's a bit of behind the scenes. And this is a good one. In order to achieve the character's level of deep rage, Nicholson went on a diet of only cheese sandwiches for two weeks before production started. So the reason for that is being because Nicholson actually hates cheese sandwiches. So which makes sense because seeing the extreme rage seen in his eyes throughout the entirety of the film. <laughs> okay, so lastly, uh, 1993's Days and Confuse, uh, a coming-of-age comedy film written and directed by Richard Linklate is the source of one of Matthew McConaughey's most memorable catchphrases. The second time Matthew McConaughey's got a shout out this uh, In the scene, McConaughey's character David is driving into the bar, but McConaughey wasn't even meant to be in the scene and Linktail only gave him half an hour to prepare without giving him any lines whatsoever. And this is the origins of the iconic frames. I don't really want to do the accent, but all right, all right, all right. Bonus fact, this was McConaughey's first role he ever filmed, so now he delivered one of the most memorable roles in films. It's amazing. So wait, that was his breakthrough role? Yeah, that was his first ever time he was on film. Oh and he could God. do stuff like that. He could ad-lib a whole scene. I think that people like that, they're just born naturals, aren't they? Oh yeah, definitely. Like, that's, it was like, and the, the fact that he's kind of used that throughout his whole career as well, and that was from his first role. Yeah, and he obviously like was fond of ad libbing too. Like he he was good at it. Yeah, and like that whole scene, like that whole scene has other iconic bits. Like uh, the he was like, "Oh, do you have a joint?" And he was like, "It would be way cooler if you did." Yeah, that's from that scene as well. So like he he must have ad libbed everything from that because Linkdale didn't give him any time or any lines. I only gave him half an hour to prepare. Oh my god. Before we go on to our story of the week segment, we'll do a weekly roundup of articles published in the lifestyle section of the College View, which is DCU student-run newspaper. So for this issue, King and I wanted to put a focus on trends that have emerged since the pandemic and those that have managed to sustain their existence as we enter 2021. So one such trend is cancel culture. And although like cancel culture, it's not entirely a new concept we did experience it in light of movements like me too and black lives matter um they both demanded obviously great accountability from public figures but i think claire you might agree that it definitely has re-emerged in light of the pandemic oh yeah definitely there's been a few uh like cancelings but kind of rightfully so most of the time yeah exactly and that's one thing we'll touch on so while cancel culture has proved productive like it you know figures such as Harvey Weinstein and and Bill Cosby like they were publicly cancelled and rightly so phenomenon it does prove questionable when minor incidents lead people to be cancelled and that is definitely an aspect that became really strong in the pandemic so in this article Sarah Burke wrote it and she basically looks at cancel culture from a starting point right through to where we are today so mid-pandemic so just to kind of 
start at the foundation level it's basically a modern internet phenomenon where a person is essentially marginalized from influence or fame based on some of their actions so these actions are deemed deemed unacceptable or objectionable by the public and the individual is cancelled subsequently as a result so um over the pandemic it has certainly garnered a lot of traction and Sarah makes a good point by attributing this to people having more time on their hands and then this time is then transferred to spending it online and critiquing other people's actions and I think like this is interesting because critiquing other people's actions has never been so evident now like you watch tv or you're yeah. in the street you comment on whether people are wearing masks whether they're two meters apart or if they're doing the right thing all things COVID considered like it's funny you see somebody and they're not wearing a mask and you're like oh my god like they're breaking yeah. the rules you don't even stop to think maybe they have a medical condition and they can't wear a mask we're so quick to judge that's true but I I think it's got like I don't know it's got to a stage where people need to be held accountable and that is kind of people are more being more like are holding people to a higher standard especially people who are celebrities and like have a platform and they're not using it for the right things and they should be held accountable and and like some aspects of it is a bit extreme but also a lot of the times it's like how could you how could you have such a high platform and then show all your followers this behavior yeah it was actually remember back in the summer when all those Irish influencers were all at a party and they publicized it like it's one thing yeah. to go party, but then to have a platform and show that when it's exactly. like completely and utterly wrong that's definitely like an instance where they should be held to account because they have such an influence. Yeah, and um, people seeing that and being like, oh, well, look at me trying so hard during COVID lockdown. And then there's people out there partying, like, why would I even bother? And then that kind of starts like a landslide effect then as well. Yeah, literally, it's a landslide effect. But um, Sarah was kind of making the point that in a situation where a social media user is cancelled or, you know, they are in the limelight for an apparent wrongdoing, it's useful to take a step back from the situation and kind of look at it from both sides and don't immediately assume that the reason that they're being cancelled is gospel or truth because, you know, the comment section tells you so. And that's a big thing. If you're kind of late to learning about what happened, you're so quick to just instantly believe everything that's being said without actually looking at both sides as well, which is a big part of it too. Yeah, true. I think that's especially just with the whole fake news thing as well. Like it kind of, it shows that you you can't trust literally anything that you see and you really have to see so many sides of the stories nowadays. Yeah, exactly. Like even, you know, sometimes it's an instance of like a Twitter user who doesn't have that many followers puts up a tweet and then instantly regrets it because, you know, they're getting attacked and they're getting cancelled and that kind of thing. Yeah, and especially when it comes to like tweets and stuff like that, sometimes it comes across a different way than the person intended. Yeah, exactly. Like Twitter is just, I think it's like a cancel culture black hole nearly. Like everybody is so quick to judge and comment and critique. Yeah, exactly. But it's kind of like, uh, like you can't show what tone of voice you're even saying things in. So things become really quickly like misconstrued no matter, like you could say something and it'd be just completely taken out of context. But I don't know, sometimes it is deserved though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sometimes it definitely is and mm-hmm. rightly so other times like you do need to take a step back from it because it's kind of like one of those things where if if it's happening so much then like are we understanding the true effects of it or as in like its purpose that kind of thing as well yeah it's if like it's it's happening so much now so kind of the value of someone being cancelled or someone being considered like not highly ethical 
it's kind of like it's it's lost its meaning now kind of because it, and then especially those people who say like oh everybody's being cancelled I can't say anything then they kind of are part of the problem as well yeah yeah it's a, it's such a complicated yeah one. it's it's like a catch-22 it is yeah literally yeah. but another concept that has been taught that has been a talking point in various conversations during COVID-19 like yes like cancel culture it's not necessarily a new concept is imposter syndrome and so while doing some research for the show I was trying to think of like what linked imposter syndrome to COVID-19 why is everybody suddenly talking about it and then I think it is again because people now have this extra time at home and with that we saw a lot of like industry experts in various fields doing like virtual talks and lives and Q&As and so the listeners and viewers wanted to know if an expert or as a well-regarded name in the public domain do they experience feelings of imposter syndrome and like I think that's true because any podcast or Instagram live that I've watched the person in question has almost always said yes, that they have experienced imposter syndrome. And I think that's kind of why it's been put back on the agenda again, because we're seeing these industry experts and these names in the public domain coming onto their Instagram lives and doing Q&As. Yeah, definitely. I've de- like, I've definitely heard of a lot of people talking about imposter syndrome, like since the pandemic, it's definitely got more popular to talk about, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's weird how these things just, you know, start to filter into public conversation. But Kaylee Hardyman wrote this article and she looked at the kind of the cause and effect of imposter syndrome and how it can be overcome. So to give it its you know proper definition, it's basically a social anxiety disorder where an individual who experiences feelings of inadequacy and believes they're not as worthy or as good at something as others. So it can affect anyone, whatever their social status, skill level or age. So it's not exactly a recognised disorder, but it is very common and around 70% of people will experience it at least once in their life. So I think that's a really high figure, to be fair, because it's probably one of those feelings that you might tend to keep to yourself and think that no one else experiences it. But in actual fact, the majority of people do. And it's very valid um, and it's a very real feeling. But it's probably something that you're like, oh, God, I don't know if I want to speak like, you know, make this public yeah. and tell people that I'm feeling it. But um, and I think even if we put that into context for ourselves, you know, like when it comes up and you get an email and it's like, xyz gave you feedback on an article or on an assignment and you're clicking engine you're like oh my god you're scared you're like what is this going to be and then you open it and it's not as bad as you thought so instead of thinking I deserve this grade you instantly think how on earth did I get that grade you know yeah and as well as like it doesn't actually have to be like a celebrity like you don't have to have a Nobel Peace Prize to in order to feel imposter syndrome either like yeah, it could just literally be an assignment yeah yeah exactly so Kaylee makes some recommendations such as making sure to take stock of your own achievements, both big and small, and allowing yourself to be proud of what you've done. And that definitely goes back to the whole idea that you don't need to be a high esteemed celebrity to experience imposter syndrome. It can happen like in small doses Mm -hmm. or like with smaller things as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that was two examples of some of the articles published this week in the issue of the College U. And you can read those articles in full over on the website. So we will move on to our next segment, which is Story of the Week. So each week, both Claire and I pinpoint our chosen story of the week in the world of culture and lifestyle that we believe are worth sharing. So Claire, what is your story of the week this week? Okay, so this story comes from Variety for their Actors on Actors series. So Jamie Dornan and Eddie Redman reconnected on a video call to discuss the times they spent together before they were the well-established actors they are today. So Dornan and Redman actually lived together for three months in LA in 2009. So at the time, they weren't working too much and spoke about how they could both would both audition for the same roles and how there was so little for them to do outside of auditions. 
and they were definitely like they weren't well known whatsoever and they were kind of fondly remembering how out of boredom they once went to a pottery barn and made pottery because there was nothing else that they could do with their friends in LA and at the time they were they were all trying to make it in the industry and I said from that group it kind of shows how like things change but from that group two have gone into Marvel superheroes and one of them had become an Academy Award winner and so the pair basically just discussed like their endless rejections and how in Redmayne's uh, rental car there was a pile of scripts from rejected auditions and both of them spoke about a certain Oscar watching party and how everyone had turned up in their valet but Redmayne arrived in his little rental car they could they, they, they really put emphasis on this rental car and how much they remembered it and about how he was like so ashamed for those in the party to even see it but Dornan said to him no Eddie front up get your car and at the end, the two actors just basically reflected on how far that they've come since and um, since that time and how they both feel so privileged to be in the position that they are today. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was just really interesting and just how so much had changed within like 12 years. I actually thought it would have been longer. 12 years isn't that long for them to go to a rental car to being two highly yeah. esteemed <laughs> To be Literally. fair, though. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, what was your story, Trudy? So mine is kind of short and sweet, but it has a really good feel-good element to it. Oh, we um, love it. We need that. <laughs> yeah, it gives us a glimmer of hope in our... Anything. Yeah. So American band, The Flaming Lips, held two very unique gigs in Oklahoma recently. And both their both the musicians and the audience were inside individual inflatable bubbles. So this happened only, Ooh. I think, maybe a week or two ago. So the concert included 100 bubbles, holding up to three people in each, with the band also inside their own individual capsules up on the stage. So there inside the bubbles there was a speaker and it was like headphones and a speaker so the sound wasn't muffled there was water bottles a fan and a towel to wipe away any condensation and apparently there was a sign like a two-sided sign on one side it said I need to pee and the other side it said it's too hot in here so if like you were in the bubble and you needed to go to the toilet you'd hold up the sign and then you'd be escorted they take your temperature you'd be escorted out to the toilet and then you're allowed back in and if it was oh too God. hot if it was too hot in the bubble they'd like take you out with the bubble they'd deflate it they'd blow it back up a cold air with a leaf blower and then let you back in so the like preparation and the production for that was so high the things that they thought of yeah and it's actually quite humorous as well when I was reading it I was like imagine all these things playing out in my head with the bubbles and then the two-sided sign it's it's humorous like but it's also like so progressive as well for them yeah to be- I, I saw pictures of it and it was like it was so dystopian like that's like the future of of covid concerts it was just such a, a forward-thinking approach but I don't think I could like I can't imagine something like that taking off I don't know yeah I don't think that's like maintainable I don't think people could do that every week <laughs> yeah, a mobile concert every weekend yeah oh god <laughs> Okay, so that does us for this week's instalment of Limelight. You can follow us on Instagram at DCU Limelight to keep up with all our shenanigans and we will be back here next Wednesday at 5pm where we'll have some brand new culture content to alleviate any lockdown blues. 